We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Sage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of May. How's it going, Ed? Oh, it's going great, Ron. Going great. Been a crazy couple of weeks and continues to be, but, you know, all, all having fun, so it's great. Yeah, you were traveling kind of all over. Yeah, well, three countries in three days a couple of weeks ago. That was interesting. I woke up in Seville, Spain one Saturday, flew home, uh, participated in a baseball tournament on Sunday with my son, and then flew out on Monday to Canada. So, you know, it was a... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was uh, earlier this week, I was in uh, Washington, D.C., and then I was up in Canada and Toronto, and I got to meet Blair Ends, by the way. Great. Yes. Time. One of so, our guests. Super. Yeah. Yep. Had Blair yep. on. So that was, that was great to finally meet him after emailing and reading his book and, you know, all for years without ever meeting him, meeting him. So, yeah. So I don't know about you, but my stack's bulging. So I'm just going to come out of the gate with this, Ed. Why is the EU celebrating Karl Marx's birthday? <laughs> this, is, this is from Daniel J. Mitchell. From, of course, Fee, our favorite, one of our favorite blogs. Um, Jean-Claude Juncker, and again, I don't care if I'm mispronouncing that because this guy is the president of the European Commission, so he's the ultimate head bureaucrat, Mm. uh, is traveling to Trier, Germany, uh, to present a speech at the opening ceremony of the Karl Marx exhibition in that city. Hmm. And when he was asked about this, an EC spokeswoman said, well, I think that nobody can deny that Karl Marx is a figure who shaped history in one way or the other. Well, I got no. news for I got news for you. So did Hitler. Right, uh, right. That's exactly I, where I German went with it. Celebrating it was, you know, him. Instant Godwin's law. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, 100 million people died under communism and this according to the black book of communism which was primarily written by a group of french scholars which aren't exactly you know the most anti-communist people in the world and it i read the book and it's incredibly well documented um and it could be an underestimate right it could be more than 100 million uh but and, and what's so frustrating about this to me, Ed, and this is pointed out in the article, Marxism and communism is not treated in the same way as national socialism is. We're no, reminded of the Holocaust, and, and rightfully so, you know, never forget. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I, I drove by the, the Holocaust Museum when I was there in Washington, D.C., and I've been there before. It's, a, it's an incredible thing to go, go and see. It'll make you somber for the rest of the day, but we don't, you know, we don't forget that. But when mm-hmm. when we talk about communism, it's always the mistakes of communism or of Stalinism, 
Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's not put on the same plane. And yet there should be a bigger museum dedicated to the deaths of the poor people who suffered under these ideas. And why they're celebrating this guy, I have no idea. Well, and 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 continue to suffer. I mean, look what's happening in Argentina, you know, yep. and Venezuela. And, and what, what, yeah, I'm so yes, yes, Venezuela. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, in in Venezuela, and you know, it's it is just so funny to see people turn on a dime who five years ago or seven years ago were 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 saying how great things were in Argentina. Uh, why do I keep saying this? Venezuela, in <laughs> Venezuela, right? Right. Um, how great things were in Venezuela. And how you know Hugo Chavez was was the new Marxist. This he fi- he's finally implemented it right. Right, right? he's finally, got, finally got, got the right. right person in charge. He got the right person to do it, and then all of a sudden, and now now those same people are like, well, you know, this is just it's Chavez here, or it's Maduro, I guess, who's now the the new guy. Was well, you know Chavez uh, had the good fortune, so to speak, of dying before it got to be a complete disaster. Right. Um, so that, so they can now blame it on 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 the, the new guy coming in. Uh, all that said, Ron, and I, I think you're right. I, I, you know, I think part of it is that that Nazism specifically targeted a a religion. Right. A, for, for extinction and a particular people where whereas, you know, give it to communism it was very equal opportunity. We really, you know, yeah, as, but, you know, targeting their own kill just about anybody. Yeah, oh, target, yeah. No, no, no. But targeting their own people, you know, the whole definition of genocide and, you know, the, 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 because the Russians have a vote in the UN who came up with the official legal definition of genocide, they didn't like the, you know, targeting of people. But I, I don't know what to call what Mao did or Stalin, if not genocide, what is it? I mean, if that's not genocide, then I, I don't think the word's clear. Well, and that, and that's that's my point is that for, for I'm saying that that an argument could be made that 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 is there is a distinction there be, because uh, the Nazis did specifically target Jews, right? And that was it, it, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's you know there's way sure, more dead sure. people under communism, right? <laughs> I'm, well, and, and just gypsies, that that's right? The they they went yeah, after and gypsies. Jews yeah, 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 yeah. But to a lesser extent, but yeah. no, I get that. But yeah, yeah, I just. It's just annoying. Yeah. It's just it, it's just reason number. I don't know what it, we're what are we up to about a thousand and thirty three reasons <laughs> to hate the European Union. Yeah, no, that's easy. But <laughs> but I will say this. I and and maybe this is just because I'm getting older and um I'm. By the way, I would never celebrate Karl Marx's birthday or anything. But I'm I'm more compassionate toward Karl Marx as a person as an individual it's it seems to be marxist is who i have a problem with because <laughs> oh well i i think you mean you're 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 more compassionate towards his thinking and and right. maybe his writing his mind and all because i'll tell you if you read paul johnson's book intellectuals there is you would not go have a beer with Karl marx he was a nasty nasty individual yeah personally uh um, right but yeah, I, I, I get you what you're saying. And look, the other thing, Ed, I'm not saying that we should, you know, put people down the memory hole and, and you know, alter history. I'm all for uh, having these books available, having his writings available, and even having, you know, a few Marxist professors. Well, we've got all the Marxist professors these yeah. days. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, because to me, that's kind of a museum in and of itself. I mean, we need these people around to remind us how pernicious 
these ideas are. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, we don't have exhibitions to Karl Marx. I just don't see the need for them to be so celebratory. Yes, I would I would definitely agree with that, that that the celebration aspect of this is is clearly problematic, because, as you said, the justification that was used in that by by that by that uh, bureaucrat is the same justifications as well as let's celebrate Hitler's birthday, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, he definitely influenced history. There is no question about it. Yep. One way or the other. So Mm -hmm. anyway, enough. Your turn. Well, that's a, <laughs> along those along those lines, and this is something that you and I talk a lot about. This the notion of diversity, right? We yes. must have diversity, and diversity in the workplace, and diversity in all of this stuff. And our both of us come down on the side of, hey, I don't care if it's you know four African American guys, as long as there's diversity of thought. Correct. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. I don't care if it's you know it does doesn't matter the the physical makeup of any group or panel but I, what i want is diversity in thought because what is 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 destructive of innovation is lack of diversity in thought correct i agree right so this is from uh, reason magazine a new study that came out uh, by uh, Mitchell Langbert an associate professor at Brooklyn College uh, in the academic journal called Academic Questions, and he he confirms findings that we we've, we've known really for years. It's n- not all that shocking, except for the number, and that is he sampled eight thousand six hundred and eighty eight tenured professors uh, from fifty one top liberal arts colleges, right? Uh, according to the the twenty seventeen U.S. News and World Report list. And he found that there was a Democrat to Republican ratio <laughs> of 10.4 to 1. Right. That's that's low. I mean, that's high. Yeah. <laughs> 10.4 to 1. Uh, and if military colleges are included, which is kind of weird, it's 12.7 to 1. Mm. Yep. Which I think is pretty interesting. Now, what this means is, is that roughly two in five top-ranking liberal arts schools have no full-time faculty who are Republicans. Zero. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. But, but we need diversity. We need you diversity. Know, Thomas Sowell's <laughs> got a great line. Next time you hear somebody talk about diversity... Uh, on a college campus, ask them what the diversity is in the, amongst the faculty. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. I mean, how can you have uh, how can you have half the population kind of ignored within the college campuses? Just from a forget the politics of it, just from an idea perspective. Correct. Yeah, I, I yeah, di- you know, diversity is oversold. Everybody, you can mouth it. It sounds really good. Oh, our strength is in diversity. If you look at countries that are diverse, they're balkanized. It's 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 a matter of having a, I think, a common culture, but also, like you say, a diverse diversity in thought. It's not diversity in genitalia, right. or skin color, or anything else. It's diversity in ideas. That's what matters. Right, and and I think you can get that diversity of ideas from from all of the people that we all normally consider diverse, right? So, but yep. but that 
to but, but to me that is the more important thing to look at and of course that's not something that anything but measures because it's you know it's it's one of these things it's how, how does one measure diversity of thought right, right. Yeah, you 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 can't you actually can ask those questions like, are you Democrat or are you Republican? I mean, I think if if you know this guy did it on a survey, but if 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 an employer were to, hey, we want to make sure that we have a balanced number of Democrats and Republicans on the team. uh, I don't know how well that would go over, right? (laughs) That would be. There would be a problem. And, you know, forget about my libertarians, right? Forget about them. We don't, you know. Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't quota it. You can't bean counter, you know, you bean count the, um, the diversity and ideas, but you can, you can do the gender and other characteristics. So is it a, just a proxy though, Ron? Is that, do you think it's a proxy? I mean, that, I, I would imagine that that would be the retort, right? I, Which you would know, be to say that, that d- diversity in, 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 in background because of whether it's you experiences. Know, skin color or experiences and all of that, that that is a proxy then for diversity of thought. Do you think that that's a valid argument? No, I do not. Okay. Especially if you look at the college campuses, because if it was true, then you would have more than that ratio of 12 to one or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Right? So... Yeah, well, Ed, I had a short one, but that's okay. Why don't we take our break, and then uh, I'll come back, and I'll give you this real short one. Uh, But, folks, in the meantime, um, keep sending those emails. we got a couple email um, questions that we got, Ed, and we're going to answer those later on in the show. And I'd like to remind you, if you want to send Ed or myself an email, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If Google can't find you, do you exist at all? At Leading Results, we want to help you get found locally, both in search engines and directories. We want to help you have an outstanding reputation online. And we want to help you get those blogs written and interact on social media. Simply put, Leading Results helps customers find you. By working with our team, your practice grows and your profitability improves. Focus on what you do best and delight clients. Leave the marketing and lead generation to us. To learn more, go to leadingresults.com slash packages. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back 
on the soul of enterprise. And Ron, I just wanted to just pick up on, we just heard a commercial from our great sponsor, Leading Results, and Dan and the team there, and heard a great story that they landed a new customer because of their interaction with us on the show here and their sponsorship. So want to want to thank uh, those those folks for getting a hold of Dan. He does some great work in the area of, of not only social media, but, but just results-based marketing. And he's, in, in my opinion, one of the leading thinkers on that subject, regardless of the industry. So if you are looking for, looking for someone to help you with marketing, please give Dan a call. And this that goes to for all of our sponsors, you know, Sage, of course, my, my employer, um, as well as the focus folks at Abacus Next, and they'll be their commercial is coming up. But I just wanted to remind people that's the, the best thing that you can do to help this show is uh, is use our sponsors because that that they pay the bills. Yeah, no, that's great, and congratulations, Dan. That's wonderful, and I agree. And he is one sharp guy <laughs> when it comes to marketing yeah. and his team over there. All right, well, I got a real quick one, Ed. In 1997, it was chess, right? 2016, of course, it was Go. We're talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, here we go. And now we've got robots doing assembly of IKEA furniture. <laughs> so you've got a chair from IKEA. Yeah. Stefan. Stefan. Stefan, I think. And there's 19 components. It took. Uh-huh couple robots and there's video of this online i'm not actually i haven't watched the video but i think it was over uh might have been two or three robots took them nine minutes to assemble this chair that has 19 components Mm. now prior to the nine minutes the robots did spend 11 minutes scanning the environment and planning their movements very Mm -hmm. methodical like you know pick up this dowel and you know insert here and all of that and Mm -hmm. The, what the researchers are really excited about is they believe that they can use machine learning by having the robots watch humans do the assembly. You know, they'll be able just to get better and better, like like autonomous cars, right? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, probably not, because if they're going to learn from humans, they're probably going to end up tossing the screwdriver against the wall and reaching for the bottle of scotch. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> Well, or, or or learn some pretty salty language. Well, pretty that quick. too. <laughs> pretty pretty sure, based on my previous IKEA experiences, <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, but I will say this: I often use IKEA as a great example of learning curve because I I, I think maybe this is just how we do things at our house. But it, but IKEA stuff never comes in like singles, right? It's it's always like okay we're putting up a, a a like my wife Christine has down in her 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 office she's got this it's a it's a set of nine um, cubicles cubby holes looks like a mm. like a big locker right 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 um, so I had to put like nine of them together together you know? <laughs> and, and like strap them up there and the point my my point being that you know the first one takes me a long time. Getting better and better as you go. Right, but by the ninth one, I'm like, you know, powering through. (laughs) I'm just like, well, I'm glad I'm not billing by the hour here because, you know, the ninth ninth one, I'd have to slow it down. But, you know, it's funny you bring that up, that whole robot thing. I, I spoke earlier this week at the Association of Accounting Marketing. Right, mm-hmm. and I know that you've been you've been a part of that organization as well as our our colleague Michelle Golden, who's who's been, I don't know, one of the founders, I think, uh, of of that organization, if not an early adopter. She was was not able to make this conference, so was was unable to to connect with Michelle. But 
you know, I brought up, I was, I was asked to speak on AI and the blockchain and yep. how a, 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 a accounting marketers could use it. And one of the things that I talked about was the fact that, you know, computer programs are just, just bots, right? The old, what we think of as a computer program, an accounting system, it started out as a bot. That's what sure. it did, right? You fill in a form and it executes like a bot-like thing. But then I was reminded of something that, that you uh, shared with me, and that was the, the Tyler uh, Cowen's podcast mm-hmm. with uh, Balaji Sharavasan. Right, right. Uh, and, and, and so it, it was just, just reminded me, me as you were talking about this bot putting the, or robot putting the IKEA together is something that he said, which I think is extraordinarily profound, is that once you marry the stuff from Boston Robotics, Mm-hmm. Right, which is you know the the robot that does backflips. I don't know if you've seen. Right, the, right, yeah, I have seen that one. Yep, right. They, and you push it down, and it gets back up, and it walks through the snow, and right there's all of this, you know, all of this this really neat stuff. But once you marry that up with an augmented reality suit, which I know I think Musk is working on, and probably a bunch of other people too, but this is one of his side projects: is these augmented reality suits. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can strap the suit on, and, and right, so you mimic those two things together, right, and then I think or something extraordinary happens, which is your immigration policy is now called a firewall. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because you can have some robot or in the field, and some other dude or gal wearing a a an augmented reality suit who's not in the same location, physical location, manipulating what they see through the augmented reality suit. Yep. That's from, uh, we'll get that in the show notes, Ed. That's from Conversations with Tyler, uh, his podcast. And yeah, that that was a really interesting show. Right. And think about that. I mean, that, and and, and look, I, this guy, I think, uh, I think it's Srinvasan. Shri, Shri, it's S. R-I-N-V-A-S-A-N, Srinvasan, Balaji Srinvasan. And this guy thinks that this is like, don't, this is only 10 years away. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's wild. You know, forget the wall. You don't need the wall. You need a <laughs> firewall. It's going to be a great big firewall, Ron. Big, a big <laughs> or firewall. Else, or else have the robots build the wall. It'll be like a yeah, nice Gia wall. Right, we're going to have the robots build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> using people who are not in the United States physically present at the time, right? And <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. Okay. Well, that, that was mine. That was mine. You get to go again. <laughs> okay. Well, here's another short one for you, but only in California, Ed. So just file this and only in in California. Elon Musk is not the only American who builds his own rockets. Okay. In the California Mojave Desert, Mad Mike Hughes, a limousine driver, rode a homemade steam-powered rocket 1,870 feet into the air and descended successfully with a parachute. The question is why? Because he's a member of the Flat Earth Society and he wanted to see how the Earth looks from above to disprove the false theory that the world is round. Hmm. Now, this was paid for by a crowdfunded, you know, group, uh, mostly Flat Earth Society members. And, you know, some spoil sports pointed out that he could have done better on a tall building or climbing a mountain 
or even flying in an airplane. Yeah, well, whatever. It, whatever. It, it, he said, you know, 1,875 feet is not really high enough to measure the curvature of the Earth. If yeah. he simply remembered his high school geometry, he would have, re- have realized, oh, wait, never mind. Okay, but here's, here's, here's the point. Or, no, this is, no, this is not the point. This is just really funny. Again, only in California. This guy is running for governor. Oh, yes. So remember that name, folks. If you're if you're resident of California, you'll be able to vote for Mad Mike Hughes. Mm. And he's a member of the Flat Earth Society who built his own rocket. So bless him. You know, I, and look, we I guess statistically, right, there's got to be somebody in our listening audience who's a flat earth person, I would think. Possibly. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, you know, it's, I, it's, it's pretty small. Well, but see, so so I, I, my, my son, Sean, came, showed the, some of these videos to me about like their, 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 they have conferences, Ron. Yeah, I know. And they fly from all over from around the world. <laughs> well, not around the world, from across the world, I guess it would be. Right. It wouldn't right. be around the world. They would fly from across the world. I wonder if they watch the flight map when they, you know. Well, we'll see. And that's the thing. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. So, because they, they you know, the, in all of the maps that you see, the way that they have it laid out is basically the North Pole is the center. Right. Right. Sure. And that's that's how th- that's how this would work, right? This whole thing, and then that so the North Pole is the center, and okay, so that makes sense. So when you traverse the North Pole, if you're going straight across this, yeah, I get it. It's straight, right? So then you get you, you can do like a great circle route, but we would think as of as a great circle route, right? Which yep. still makes sense. So like when you fly to Germany, you don't you don't fly across the Atlantic, you fly a over Greenland. Yeah, you do the polar like we do from right. San Francisco. It's, we take the polar route, and you got to wonder when I, they're sitting there watching that. What are they thinking? Why are they coming up because here? They, because <laughs> because because to well, th- this is the point, and I understand this. So the, if the if the North Pole is the center of their place, right, then you can draw a direct line from San Francisco to to you know Munich on their little map, right? And it still makes sense. But here's what you can't do. <laughs> you can't. You can't draw the same thing and fly from like Argentina to Australia, yeah, right? Yeah, because in the, in, in, the, in that their world, if you if you're flying in the southern hemisphere, right, it would be like ten times as long. <laughs> because remember, they have the whole thing spreads out, and like Antarctica is actually the edge. I don't know if you're aware of this. So Antarctica is the edge, right? That's the edge of the world. Right. So they got this figured out. But it doesn't. It still doesn't make it because it, the, the. So I, I, you know, I'm like I. That's so sick. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I, oh wait, never mind. He probably did. And, and then I love the because I love I love the uh, I love the, the, their explanation of gravity too. Which have you heard this? What their explanation of gravity is? No. Is that the, the, this whole disc is it, we're we're moving up wherever up is. <laughs> At a constant like seven point four miles an hour, and that and that's and that's, and that's what explains gravity. You see, <laughs> just just on you, you just reminded me something. I totally off topic. This is this is just too weird. That's right. It's just Speed Rider Friday, Ron. Let's let it go. I, I know. I know. I'm go- I think I'm going to vote for Mad Mike here. But I I heard a. Um, 
geologists talking about, you know, earthquakes. Um, what do they call those guys? Seismologists? What are they called? Um, yeah, seismologists. Yep. Seismologists. And she, she said that, you know, the, the tectonic plates are constantly shifting. And, and basically, she said San Francisco and L.A. are converging on one another. Right. And she used a metaphor that I'd never thought about. I mean, I thought it was just really interesting. It just stuck in my mind. She said, they're moving towards one another at the pace of about the growth of in your fingernails. Okay. <laughs> Which, now, that would still extrapolate to millions of years. Sure, um, sure, but, sure, but, sure. But that's just an interesting metaphor. I, I just thought that was really wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, before we, before, yeah, yeah, before we take our break, I just want to know what, do you know what Mad Mike's, uh, or Mad, what was it, Mad Mike? Mad, Mad Mike used. Mad Mike used. What's his taxation policy? Because if, you know, if he's, if he is for lowering taxes, I think I still I, vote I, for him anyway. Yeah, I'd put up with the flat. I'd put up, because I'm not sure flat earth. what damage he can do. Maybe he can build a better rocket that goes higher, you know. Uh, <laughs> But I just like the spoil sports who said, why didn't you just climb a building? You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. I want to remind you, get a hold of Ron or myself. And if you're a flat earther, please send us the email. We want to hear it. And honestly, we do want to hear the explanation for this at asktsoe at verisage.com. You can also look at our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, for full show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Please also, as a reminder, we, we are definitely looking for you guys to, to give us reviews on uh, iTunes and any platforms out there that you, you listen to the show on. Uh, we do have one that we will read coming up. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Abacus Next. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And here we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. And Ron, you know, we're talking about the Flat Earth people. I wonder what the Flat Earth people's position on climate change is. That would be... Like, cause do, do they call it global warming? I mean, I would they, <laughs> what are they? What, what are, are they? they it's like, well, it's, yeah. What are the flat Not Earth? a globe, so it's Not a globe. so it's got to be. It's got. I guess it's just climate change. Climate change. I guess they could yeah. go with that. I mean, if the Earth is flat, they could still have a climate. So I, I would, would guess that that would be it. I guess it's the biosphere warming. Warming biosphere. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but on that line, let's talk a little climate change, Ron. Let's talk a little climate change. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not going to rehash the whole. We we we've talked about it a number of times. You know, Ron and I actually disagree a little bit on this. I personally think that maybe that the Earth is warming. He's not totally convinced. Doesn't doesn't matter in this story. This this comes to us from uh, CapEx. Ron, group yep, think yep. on climate change ignores the inconvenient facts, which mm-hmm. I thought was a good, good pun. And here's the biggest inconvenient fact: although this article does rehash the whole "is the climate actually warning me?" I don't. That's not what I'm want to want to mention. Right. I want right. to mention this this piece of it, right? Because this this is here's the the biggest inconvenient fact: uh, China, which is by now the world's largest CO two em- emitter, right? right. Has, and China, and India, which is the third largest emitter, yeah. right? Has they have absolutely zero intent in reducing their carbon footprint. Yep, zero, right? And so basically, the rest of the world could pretty much shut down, and we're still going to have massive increases in carbon. Yep, and and one of their retorts, Ed, is we need to measure this per capita. And when you do it that way, our footprint is much worse per capita. You know, I think the the Earth really doesn't care. (laughs) Flat, flat or otherwise, right? The Earth Earth would be pretty much an absolutist when it comes to this. Yep. Right? So... And, and and look, the, the 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 per capita that's quickly changing too, because I mean they they're increasing. I think the I think there's, let me see if I can find this in the article. Yeah, so uh, they're ri- they're set to set set to rise by a staggering forty six percent. Both in both both of them to total together. I mean that's I mean, that's an incredible number in in just in just twelve years. By the way. You mean in footprint or in population? Are you talking? It, no, in in footprint. In fo- in, okay, in, right, right. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Their sure. emissions are going to increase by a staggering forty six percent in the next twelve years. Yeah, and bless them, they're escaping poverty. Right. Oh, and yeah. They, well, let's yeah. forget the yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So that's the biggest inconvenient fact. I mean, so the question is, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? Because that's not going to change. We can can save all of that. Look, and I'm all for if you want the the stuff locally and like – 
but but the, it's not making an impact. Right, right. Um, I hear you. So, all right, that's all it. right. And rant. Well, but <laughs> well, here's a good one. Jeff Bezos has banned PowerPoint in his executive meetings. And yes, and apparently did this maybe a couple years back. I'm not exactly sure when, but it, it's his replacement that I absolutely love. And this comes out of Inc.com. Um, instead of bullet points, he passes out a narrative, an actual story, and the committee spends 30 minutes reading it, and then they all discuss it. And the author points out, you know, why storytelling is better, because, of course, our brains are hardwired for narrative, right? Your retention's yep. better and, and all of that. Stories are far more persuasive because you've got, obviously, ethos, you know, character and credibility, logos is the logic, but it's, it's, the, uh, it's the pathos, it's the emotion, right, that, that comes through with the story. And Bezos points out, and, and, you know, Amazon is a metric mania company. They have tons of metrics. And, but he does say when the metrics and anecdotes disagree, he says the anecdotes are usually right, <laughs> which I thought was really, really interesting. And then he said, bullet points are the least effective way of sharing ideas. Bullet mm-hmm. points don't inspire. Stories do, right? They inform, they illuminate, and they inspire us. And I just thought that that was absolutely amazing. So... Um, I think this yeah. is a, a great uh, replacement. If you're caught in an executive meeting with tons of bullet points, and, and do a story instead and see what happens. What's the narrative? What's the narrative? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I, I my the session that I did yesterday I had a a, a a gig yesterday with a with a company and was on my question. It was on they asking effective questions, but they asked me to do a work workshop, right? So I did the the Q Force stuff, mm-hmm. and one one of the things that came out of that is in working with these these is that they they do a lot of work with their customers. They did call them clients as well, but the, the, on on understanding their the individual's narrative, right. So what they really love was was this was the questions, and I think we've talked about them before. Is you know that I find very useful in the, from a strategy perspective, which is asking, hey, what's what's the narrative? What's the story that we keep telling ourselves over and over again? Right. Right. And then asking, what are the what are the benefits of this story? What's the upside of this story? And then, of course, what are what are the costs of this story? What what are the downsides of keeping this story alive? Sure. And, right. you know, I've heard you say this multiple times, but, y- you know, if you think about that projector, it's just like the old campfire and yep. we're just sitting around telling stories. Yeah. Yeah. We just <laughs> tell them around bullet points. Well, and by the way, immediately when you said that, you know, that, that they've banned, banned it, I thought, well, maybe they're using, you know, Google's product instead. But OK, so what they're using is something completely different. <laughs> no, no I love good. it. I thought that was great. That's good. All right, That's you're good. up, Ed. All right, so <laughs> this is I'm I'm weaving this in as only Free Rider Friday can do, Ron. Right. I, this was not planned, not scripted at all. I'm weaving a theme together here. I did have this in my stack from a little bit back, but it seems that aliens may well exist in a parallel universe. 
This is a okay. study that was down, right? That we're, 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 we keep looking for alien life and we keep coming up empty, yep. but the, because we're not looking, we're not looking in the right place. The next place would be like what's called the multiverse. Right, right. right? Sure. I've heard. Yeah. This, this theory, yeah. this notion of, of mul- multiple things. Well, yep. um, looks, looks like, you know, more and more the, 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 the couple studies are finding that this is, this is very, very possible, right? That there's, and it has to do with, with dark energy and dark matter and all kinds of stuff that really, you know, make my mind kind of really hurt. Right. But the question is, Ron, is what do the flat earthers think? That's what I need to know. It's like, so is it, is it, is it, a, is it, if it's, if it's a parallel universe in a flat earth world, is it then a perpendicular universe? Is it a perpendicular? Like I'm having a struggle. I'm struggling now with the parallel universe. A bunch in of countertops. Yeah, where's <laughs> I want to know. No, I don't know. It's like it's weird. Par- I, you know, anyway, so that's again. If again, if you're a flat earther and you're out there, so what's the response to the 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 multi multiple universe theory in in you know flat earth theory? So, <clears throat> wow. Okay. <laughs> 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 this is probably the silliest free rider we've ever done. So let me- <laughs> I, I don't care. I'm having fun. That's- <laughs> All right. Let me try and pull this back to Sandy. Let's talk about something that we both love. Bitcoin. Barclays Dark. Bank <laughs> is has a new study. This is Barclays Bank. that describes crypto technology as a solution still seeking a problem. And it identifies four challenges for Bitcoin. One, trust. Most Most government or most citizens trust the currency of their government. Most, not all. We know, we know there's pockets of, you know, (laughs) lousy governments out there. The second problem is sovereignty. So tax avoidance, financial control, government's not, you know, and no government central bank is going to be that keen on cryptocurrency. There's a privacy issue, right? Because uh, crypto is not as anonymous as cash. Your purchase Mm -hmm. history can be revealed. And your and our ability to undo transactions in cases of error or fraud are difficult. So the study from Barclays basically says, look, existing alternatives work pretty well. They also uh, found that only eight percent buy Bitcoin for purchases or to make payments. It most most is speculation. But mm-hmm. this was interesting, Ed. It's hard to model bubbles. Economists don't have a real good you know, model for any the real estate bubble or anything else, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, economists call this crypto through the tulips, which I just think is... <laughs> <laughs> that's a great title. <laughs> that's a great title. That's a great, great line. Um, but but Barclays did come up with, and this is, this is the, really, to me, what was kind of interesting. They came up with an ingenious parallel of an infectious disease, to model a bubble. They said, so what happens is, like with Bitcoin, a small number of owners get it, so they get infected, right? And then new new buyers are drawn in because they catch the bug because, you know, the faster the price rises, the more infectious, right? But then as as the price starts to decline, as less people are drawn in, the epidemic finally dies out. And, you know, the larger population will never succumb to the to the infection. And, you know, this fits 
the Bitcoin history pr- pretty well so far. Now, I'm not at all persuaded, but with their, you know, I think we'll overcome their four challenges. I think their four challenges are right, but I think they can be overcome. I mean, we're like Gilder says, you know, we're on a steep learning curve with these cryptocurrencies. And, and I think these issues are going to be resolved, like being able to undo a, a transaction because of error or fraud or something like that. I mean, I have no doubt that this stuff will be figured out, but I, I just thought that, that, that model for bubbles comparing it to an infectious disease, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that is, that is interesting. I wonder how that would play out. Uh, but in, in a, you know, an environment did they do run simulations on that or anything or is that just them positing the theory okay i think it's just them positing the theory the other thing i loved is i love the crypto through the tulips i just thought that was beautiful oh, so. no that's that yeah it, it's it's real interesting so what's happening with the whole bitcoin thing now it's you know up and down and back and forth so um well, we'll have to talk about that. We're, we're up against our break, Ron. want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me. Ask TSOE at Verisage.com is the email address. TheSoulOfEnterprise.com, of course, is the website. And uh, please, of course, uh, patronize our sponsors, including my employer, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday in May 2018. Ed, this is kind of silly, but uh, <laughs> what's up, Monty Python? I wish uh, we had. We need Peter Wolf. Uh, uh, stop it! You're being silly. Remember that show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop yeah. it! That's silly. Uh, uh-huh. Okay, we we did get a iTunes review, and I just I just have to read this. This comes from 
SMB Sense, which sounds like a bookkeeping firm or an accounting firm. Um, and it's five-star review, he says, or she says, I'm not sure, my favorite podcast. And goes on to say, I love this show and wait all week for the next episode with well-deserved anticipation. Ron and Ed are a perfect fit. Their commentator styles definitely complement each other. Guest speakers are always outstanding. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you so much, SMB Sense. That's uh, really appreciated. So, Ed, a yeah, couple keep, questions. Keep those reviews coming. Yeah, so this is a good one. Uh, this is from Michelle. And Michelle writes in. She's a, a lawyer, I believe, and her, um, pricing manager. And I love this. She starts starts off the, 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 the email as longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I love it. Right, which is fun. And she says she recently read an article that was listed below about uh, the, the alternative fees in, in you know lawyers for non-lawyers, right? Right. And she says, if a law firm or a professional service firm in our case is setting up a pricing function, what would you recommend the function be led by? A chief pricing officer or a chief value officer? In your experience, how are these titles perceived by clients? Um, so before you give your answer, Ron, I want to uh, just just to make a, a a quick statement that when I first met you, you you actually talked about it being a chief pricing officer, and it wasn't too long after that that you shifted to the your your suggested title being a chief value officer. So why don't you explain what in your mind is the difference and why you made the shift, and still and do you still think that way too? I do, and and one of the reasons I made the shift would was because our Verisage colleagues, Paul Kennedy and Paul O'Byrne, and I write about this in, in the pricing books, um, they, they had chief pricing officer and they also had a pricing council. And what they said was, we'd sit around and we'd talk about prices and it, it you know, Paul Kennedy said it, it became like a Sotheby's auction. You know, we somebody would say, well, I think we should charge 5000 The next person, well, I think it should be 6000 Seven. you know, do I hear 10 you know? <laughs> and Paul Kennedy's sitting there going, wait a minute, what happened to value? Right. <laughs> We're talking. So they changed it to value council and it was from the value council uh, because remember, I used to call it a pricing cartel because I actually mm-hmm. wanted to have people think, you know, that you're fixing prices within your own company, of course, not with other competition. Right. But uh, because of their value council change, that led me to the CBO. So I'm a big believer in the chief value officer. And if you read the article that she sent, um, the the article refers to a law firm that has a chief client value officer, which I think is the dumbest title I've ever heard, a CCVO, uh, just that doesn't make any sense. But how's the perception on the the customer side, I think is interesting, Ed. I, I, you know, pricing, I I don't know. I kind of like chief value officer because I'm thinking that's the eyes, ears, and throat of the customer inside the organization. But I think it depends on whether or not that person is customer facing or not. A lot of mm. pricers are not customer facing. And so, you know, like UPS has 220 some odd pricers in their organization, but I don't think, I'm not sure how many actually interact with the customer. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the customer's perception of that is. I think what it does do to have a pricer in your organization is it's more signal to your competitors that you're serious about pricing and probably aren't going yes. to engage in price wars. But I don't know. What's your take on that? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think that va- the chief value officer is the better title because, again, va- value is outwardly focused, whereas pricing could still be sometimes it's it's that halfway point, right? Price is really the resolution of the dispute between value and cost. Right. That's right. right. I Price think that's is Mike, how we Mike, Mike Munger. Yeah. Mike Munger talks about that. He didn't talk about it on yep. our show, but he talks about that in other things, right? So it, it the price is that resolution. So I, I I think that what you're looking to do is is be the one who is focused on value creation in the organization. And then, you know, as as you and I have talked about in the past, when you ask what we consider to be the, the MOASC, the mother of all strategic questions, which is how are we going to create value five years from now? Then, then that that chief value officer becomes a part of that team too, because they they should be understanding. And then that that gives them, I think, more of a chance to be outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused. Right, and I think the other thing, just you made me think of it when you said when you were talking that a CVO also has an internal communication role and, and an internal sure. signaling role that hey, the organization is really serious about being paid for value and pricing based on value and creating more value. So we actually, I mean, it's kind of like what you say about project management, Ed, that, that I find so great that it's you really do project management to enhance the relationship with the customer, right? To yeah. improve, to improve. And I think the CBO is the same thing. It's there to create more value and, and to ha- for the customer and to have happier customers, right? And, and you can do that and charge more price at the same time and the two aren't you know (laughs) they're not mutually exclusive so that internal communication i think is important too so um second question we got ed and this this comes from michael and he's um working in a firm and they are discussing getting rid of timesheets and the biggest issue with ditching timesheets he says is we won't be able to track non-chargeable hours and i've never really heard this specific objection i, I mean I, I you know we've always hear well what about cpe what about you know blah blah, blah. okay fine you can track hours for all that but for non-chargeable hours and it, it just uh made me think that if uh, there's a new book out there called measure what matters <laughs> believe it or not mm-hmm. by a guy named john Doerr, who used to work for intel and he consults with google and a bunch of other startups and he basically is giving Andy Groves OKRs, which are objectives and key results. And it basically make, makes you lay out objectives for the coming period, you know, quarter, six months, whatever. And I think for non-chargeable time, if that's going to mean business development or, you know, charitable work or whatever it might mean, that you, you could you could track that using this OKR, OKR system or some other type of goal setting system. But to track hours on non-chargeable time, is it's just another input measure. It doesn't tell me how effective or what's really going on. It just says, oh, you spent 10 hours doing X. But but so what? I, you, you need more context than that. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see it as a, as a problem. I think it's a... It, it's, it's just a remnant from the old way of thinking, in my opinion. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if we're not going to track the results that we get paid for, then why deal with non-chargeable time? So uh, this just flew by. I can't believe it. Uh, that's what happens when we laugh too much. But <laughs> what, what's on store for next week? 
Very serious show next week, Ron. Very serious. We're going to be talking about project project management, execution, and its effect on the flat earth. Oh, well, well, fantastic. That means you get to do most of the talking. Well, I look forward to it, and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, at Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you'll also see uh, additional resources and readings, and you'll be able to access all of the shows we've ever done. And you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at bearsage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.